If you have a Bible, can I encourage you to open along with me to John's Gospel and to chapter 7. We took a wee break last week for harvest, but we're back into John's Gospel this morning, back into chapter 7. I'm picking up in verse 25, uh, and we'll go from there till the end of the chapter. So John's Gospel, beginning to read in chapter 7 and verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught them in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Please do uh, open up to John chapter 7 as we work our way through these uh, verses this morning. 25 through 52. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for the scriptures We thank you that as we come to them, they really do show us 
who Jesus really is. And so this morning, as we take some time here, might you confirm in our minds that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, and might we leave believing in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus on the radio, Jesus on a late night show, Jesus in a dream looking all serene, Jesus on a steeple, Jesus on the gallopole, Jesus has his very own brand of rock and roll. Jesus started something new, Jesus coined a phrase or two, Jesus split the line at the turning point of time, Jesus sparked controversy, Jesus known for his mercy, gave a man his sight, Jesus isn't white, Jesus loves the children, holds the lambs, Jesus prays a lot, Jesus has distinguishing marks on his hands. Oh, can anyone show me the real Jesus? These are some of the lyrics uh, from a song called The Real Jesus from the band down here. And the lyrics show something of the question that has to be asked, uh, because there there are loads of ideas about who Jesus really is. Loads of different ideas. So who is the real Jesus? And what does this real Jesus actually do? Some of the questions that we need to be asking. And those are important questions, aren't they? Because if Jesus is just a, a carved image in the ceiling of an old church, well, then that doesn't really affect us too much, does it? If he's just a, a nice man who welcomed children, well, that's all well and good, isn't it? If Jesus inspired a group of musicians to sing, well, hasn't many other people done just the same thing? But if Jesus is God... If Jesus is the only giver of eternal life, well, then we can't afford to get it wrong. We can't afford to get it wrong. Because if that is who Jesus is, then he demands our response, doesn't he? He demands our response. In fact, there is no neutral position. It's not like you sit in neutral waiting to make a decision, deciding which gear to go in. No, you're already sitting in a position of default, which is rejecting Jesus. That's the default position. If you're not believing in Jesus, the default position, what you might think is the neutral position, is to reject Jesus and to set yourself against him. And that's a position that leads to death and punishment rather than life and blessing. So let's have a look at these verses. Let's have a look at these verses and see who Jesus really is. Who is the real Jesus? Because it's a, a very important question, and it's the, it's the question that's on the minds of the people in Jerusalem that we read about this morning. Verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Here we have the Jerusalem locals. Already in chapter 7, we've met Jesus' brothers. We were told that they didn't believe in Jesus. We've seen that back in verse 5. Then we met the Jews, and in this case, it's probably talking about the the Jewish leaders, and we're told that they had mixed opinions on Jesus. Some thought he was a good man. Others thought that he was very much leading people astray. And then there was the crowd, and the crowd at that point was presumably talking about those who had arrived in Jerusalem for the feast, all of those who had kind of um, arrived into Jerusalem. That's the crowd. And after hearing Jesus, we see their response, verse 20. What did they say? They said, you have a demon. And now it's the regular Joes, the regular Joes of Jerusalem. 
And they know the crack. Uh, they, they know that the religious leaders are actually seeking to kill Jesus. They presumably have heard the chatter. And here's the thing that causes them great confusion. <laughs> they know that the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, and yet here is Jesus openly at the feast getting airtime. Here he is, he's at the Feast of Booths, and he's, he's not dressed up in some sort of disguise. He hasn't been to the costume shop in town. He's not wearing a fake mustache and a big hat to try and, you know, look like someone else. No, no, no. Here he is, and he is in plain sight. And the Jerusalem locals, well, they couldn't quite figure it out. Why weren't the religious leaders acting quickly? Why weren't they acting quickly to kill Jesus? In fact, this led them to start to ask the question, could it be that Jesus actually is the Christ? Is he, is he really the Christ, the Messiah figure that we have been waiting for? Maybe that's the reason that the religious leaders haven't had him killed yet. Maybe they know the truth and they're, they're waiting to buy their time and then they're going to reveal this to us. But it seems that no sooner had they floated the idea that Jesus could be the Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, than they came up with the reasons as to why this definitely wasn't the case. And the reason for writing off Jesus from being the Christ was, well, it was their knowledge. I wanted you to spot that. You see, they know where Jesus comes from. Their understanding was that the Messiah would appear. He'd take the throne in, in, in Israel, as if from nowhere. But, but they know Jesus. I mean, Jesus grew up down the street from some of them. He played with some of their children. And his brothers were, as we said earlier, already in Jerusalem. I mean, we know Jesus. Surely this cannot be the Christ. Their knowledge seemed to convince themselves that this means Jesus is not the Christ. And knowledge is important. It's really important, actually, in this little section. Just look at those few verses from verse 26 to 29. I count it the word no comes up seven times. But look at what Jesus highlights as he teaches in the temple. He teaches them and shows up what they don't know, what they don't know. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come from my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Now we know that from verse 41, whenever they said they knew where Jesus was from, they were really meaning Galilee. We know that's where he grew up. Galilee. And yet the strange thing is that Jesus doesn't actually address their error at this point. Um, it's as if he says, okay, okay, you, th you think you know where I grew up, okay? He doesn't go back and say, well, what about Bethlehem first? No, he doesn't do that. But Jesus takes what they think they know, and then he just jumps to the next level. <laughs> it's a bit like how Jesus has already done this in John's gospel. And um, when they're talking about water, they're talking about bread, they're talking about uh, birth, and then he just jumps to the next level, the spiritual level. Jesus seems to accept their knowledge, as limited as it is, but then he highlights that there is much that they do not know, much they do not know. And for one thing, they don't realize that Jesus has been sent from God. That's really where Jesus is from. He has been sent from God. He who sent me is true. That's what Jesus says. So God is good. God is right in every way. He is true to the absolute. He's truly righteous. He's truly knowledgeable. He's truly powerful. He's truly wise. Oh, in every way, he is 
true. And Jesus is from God. Jesus knows God. And then he is bold and clear in his assessment of the people. Don't want you to spot that. He says, him you do not know. Can you imagine that? There he is, and he just says, you don't know God. <laughs> you don't know him. We um, live in a world where knowledge seems so accessible, doesn't it? All you have to do is ask Alexa or go onto Google and, and type in your question, and, and all the answers come up, or at least that's what we think, isn't it? And yet in our society with fake news and AI generation that makes videos that look lifelike and, and pictures that look so authentic, truth seems like it's almost harder to come by, isn't it? What is really the truth? And in our day, the, the secular teaching of our day seems to say this. It seems to say that, well, absolute truth is something that is dated. It's something that's to be thrown out. It's backward. And so now everyone has their own truth, don't they? Everyone has their own truth. You have your truth, and I have my truth. And as long as you don't try and impose your truth on me, well, then it's all good. Or at least I think that's true. <laughs> See, Jesus speaks into our world. He speaks into our world and he exposes the lies that, that we're often told. And Jesus says that he is one who has been sent and he has been sent from the one who is true. I wonder if you're here today and maybe, well, maybe you've already written off Jesus. Maybe you've written off Jesus as someone who is irrelevant to you and to your life from the knowledge that you have of him and and perhaps you would even say it's pretty limited. You've been willing to say, no, I'm happy just to reject Jesus and to live my own way. Thank you very much. Well, this morning, can I encourage you to consider him afresh? Consider him afresh because as we see here, a very limited knowledge, knowledge that doesn't give you all the information, can lead you to making the very wrong decision to coming to the wrong conclusion as to what to do about Jesus. You see, the real Jesus is from God. He is no ordinary man. He is from God, and he reveals the truth. You see, as those who listened to Jesus, even at this stage, heard his claims to have come from God, it, it ramped up their rejection, didn't it? It ramped up the rejection of him once again. And so they, they leave seeking to arrest Jesus. It says, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They want to arrest him, but for whatever reason, no one lays a hand on him just yet. And it's a wonderful reminder that Jesus is really the one who's in control. You see it right throughout John's gospel. Jesus is the one who is really in control. Here he is. They're seeking to get their hands on him, and yet, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But there were some... There were some who listened to Jesus, and rather than rejecting what Jesus said, they believed in him. Did you spot that? Now, for some, no doubt it was a superficial belief, but for others, it would surely prove to be genuine belief. And here was the reason that were given for their belief. This is what they said. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Will they do more signs than this man has done? As they've watched on, as they've listened, as, as, they've, as they've seen the signs that Jesus has done, they've been led to the conclusion that this surely is the Christ. This surely is the one that we've been waiting for. This surely is the Messiah. That was the reason for their belief, wasn't it? 
they seem to have eyes to see the real Jesus. They seem to see that this is no ordinary man. This man is the Son of God, the one whom I must believe in. So the real Jesus is from God, and he reveals the truth. But the real Jesus also fires out warnings of what will happen if you reject the truth. He fires out warnings as to what will happen if you reject the truth. We see that in verses 31 through to 36. It seems that the, the Pharisees and the chief priests uh, hear of more people believing in Jesus, and they've had enough, so they send out, uh, they send out officers to arrest Jesus. But look how even here Jesus demonstrates that despite the, the arrest warrant being out, despite officers out seeking to arrest him, he's still a man who is in control, isn't he? Listen to his words. He says, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now, what's Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is he's foretelling his death, isn't he? He's foretelling his death. He's saying to those who would hear, the time is coming when I'm going to return to be with the one who sent me, my heavenly Father. That's what he's saying. And what's his message to those who reject him? He says, there you cannot come with me. You cannot come with me. What a, a message to deliver. And it seems that it's especially pitched to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests, the Jews. And surely these would be the first people into the kingdom of God they would expect. Surely you would have thought they would have been front of the queue. They were the religious leaders. And yet Jesus warns them, doesn't he? He says, a day is coming and it will be too late. Too late. You will seek and you will not find. You see, the real Jesus fires out a warning to the religious leaders then. And the real Jesus is still firing out a warning to us today because as we read his word, his word is living and active. This is still Jesus speaking. And so he's firing out a warning to those who are going to reject the truth. He says there will not always be another opportunity in which to respond to him. Now, given that many of whom Jesus was speaking to was religious leaders, uh, Pharisees and scribes, can I speak to those who are very religious today? You come here every week. You sit wherever you sit. You're here week by week. You put an offering in the plate as you come in as, uh, as, as part of your coming. You, you seek to try and keep the, the Sabbath day, a day that's different from the, the rest. Uh, people look on, they very religious. You would even say, I'm a Presbyterian, <laughs> right? And yet, maybe you're here, and you know that in your heart, you have never truly believed in Jesus. Perhaps you've even been given leadership responsibility. Others look on and they think that you're a Christian. And yet in your heart, you know that you've never humbled yourself before Christ. You've never really believed in him. You've never received him as your Lord and as your Savior. Well, if that's the case, well, then hear these words of warning from Jesus and come in response to him today. See, the real Jesus fires out warnings of what will happen to those who reject him and reject the truth. And for those who reject Jesus, they will never enjoy, they will never enjoy paradise, they'll never enjoy heaven, and they will never enjoy new creation. Well, the third thing I want you to see in this passage is that the real Jesus really does deliver life. That's what he delivers, 
life. We see that in verses 37 to 39. You see that the feast has been taking place over the week. And um, here we are, and we're at the last day of the feast. Now, the way that the feast would have worked would have been that you kind of ramped up, you know. The party was only getting started, but by the time you got to the end of the, the week, that was the high point of the, of the feast. That was the high point of the week. And so what would have happened during the week? Well, part of uh, what would have taken place was this water ritual uh, where water was poured out on the altar of burnt offering in the temple, and people would have watched this each day. And it was, it was a, a harvest celebration feast, this feast, and so they would have been uh, thinking about the life-giving water that had came down from heaven that had uh, enabled their crops to grow. And so there was much to give thanks for. And here they are, they're at the, the very end of the, of the week. They're in the last day of the feast. And Jesus gets up, he stands up, and he, he cries out in a way that everyone can hear. This is a message for all of the people. And this is what he says. If anyone thirsts. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying to all of those here there, the feast is really talking about me. The feast is really talking about me. I'm the one who can satisfy your thirst. I'm the one who can really give you life and life to the full. And look, it's, it's invitational, isn't it? Look at his language. It's an open invite that goes out. He says, anyone, anyone at all, if anyone thirsts, well, then come and drink. And maybe you're here and you've been here following through John's gospel and the series, and you're saying, well, Jeff, how does, how does that line up with John chapter 6? You know, a few weeks ago we were thinking about election. Does this not, you know, here's an open invitation. Does that not go against election? Well, not at all. In fact, the invitation is thrown open wide, absolutely, but we know from John chapter 6 that only those who God draws will respond to the invite and come to Jesus to drink. This in no way pushes against what we've already learned in John chapter 6. So what does it look like? What does it look like to come to Jesus and actually drink? Well, it looks like believing in Jesus. That's what it looks like. It looks like believing in Jesus. And if you've been here uh, for any length of time as we've worked through John, that's not going to come as a surprise, is it? Because believing in Jesus is one of those great big themes that we see right from the start of John's gospel the whole way to the end. Believing in Jesus is really key. And Jesus shows that the Old Testament scriptures have been pointing forward towards him. And it's through believing in him that we will really know life. And the life, the spirit-filled life, will be evident to those who look on and watch on, because it will be a life filled with the life-giving fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you see, the thing is this, there's nowhere else that gives you this life. You might search for it in lots of different ways, but no one else is going to deliver. Nowhere else is going to deliver. No new kitchen, no new lover, no new holiday home in the North Coast, no better position in your class test or in the park run or no better workplace promotion, no extra amount of cash, no savings in the bank account, no better return on your investments, 
None of those will deliver. Because here's the thing, in this life, everyone loses everything. That's what happens. You're going to be one day placed in a coffin and everyone loses everything. That's what happens. And so the very thing that we need, the very thing that we cry out for is eternal life. It's the only thing that's going to satisfy. So let me ask you today, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Because if you are here, Jesus is called to come to me and drink. The real Jesus delivers life. It is only through Jesus that you can know forgiveness of sin. It's only through Jesus that you can know this changed heart, the true freedom that comes to live for God. And that was the very thing that you were created for. But notice too, that the real Jesus causes division. You spot that? And maybe that's a surprise to you today. Maybe, maybe you think that, you know, if you come to follow Jesus, well, everyone will like you and you'll all get on and, you know, everything will be nice. Well, no, that's not what the Bible says. Quite the opposite. It says the real Jesus causes division. Jesus splits people. He divides opinion, doesn't he? Look at uh, verse 40 onwards. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. I remember as a, as a boy thinking, do you know, if, if a celebrity, do you know, if a celebrity was to come to put their trust in Jesus and they were to tell everyone, if they were to become a Christian and tell everyone about Jesus, well, then surely everyone would hear the, the news about Jesus and they'd all respond and follow Jesus. Now, as a young person, I was thinking of someone, you know, David Beckham, you know, he's kind of famous again with his release of his documentary, isn't he? He's back in vogue. But I was thinking, if David Beckham was to become a Christian and he was to tell people about the real Jesus, surely then people would turn to Jesus and believe in him. Well, what's interesting is that here is Jesus himself testifying. And Jesus is really good at testifying about himself. No one's going to be better at it. And yet, there's a whole range of different responses, isn't there? Some thought he was a prophet like Moses. You know, just a, he was a prophet figure, but nothing more than that. Others thought he was the Christ. Others thought that he definitely couldn't be the, the Christ, the, the promised king, because, well, from what they knew, their knowledge, he, didn't, he wasn't born in Bethlehem, so that kind of ruled him out. Now, we know, don't we? Boys and girls, you know where Jesus was born. You know this part of the story, don't you? Christmas story, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. We know that, and we know the reason that he had to leave Bethlehem and flee to Egypt was because Herod was seeking to kill him, and then he comes to live in Galilee. But for some people, with the limited knowledge that they had, it was enough to lead them to the wrong conclusion. And so can I appeal to you today? Can I appeal to you to get to know Jesus as he is revealed in the Scriptures, as he has revealed himself in the Bible? Don't just go by maybe what a person in your class says or something that you work alongside. Uh, don't just go to the latest YouTuber that seems to be getting lots of views and follow what they say. Don't go to someone impressive that has lots of uh, letters after their name and think, well, they surely know the truth. No, go to the Bible and see, what does Jesus actually say about himself? What does the Bible tell me about who the real Jesus is? Because when we come to the Bible, we will see that Jesus 
is the Savior of the world. He is the one who can give us life. Now, the officers who had been sent to arrest Jesus, they come back to the the chief uh, priests and the Pharisees, and they say, well, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they look at them and think, well, where's Jesus? We sent you off to arrest this man, and you've come back, and Jesus is not here. Where is he? And what is it they say? They say, no one has ever spoke like this man. As they stood and watched on and listened to what Jesus said, they said, no, no one's ever spoke like this man. Right, to us, it might seem like a strange testimony, uh, the officers who go off to arrest uh, Jesus. But we need to know these aren't Roman soldiers at this point. No, they were Levites who were uh, assigned the job of, of temple officers. So it's a bit like the church staff team, and they've been sent off to arrest Jesus. And as they listen on, they say, no, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it because they recognize Jesus is not any ordinary man. There's something about this man that is different. He is not an ordinary man. And so they are unable to arrest him, and they come back to the, to the Jews and uh, to the religious leaders of his day. But I wonder, were they just impressed? Were they just impressed as they listened to Jesus? Or did they believe? Because you might be here, you might be impressed with some of the stuff that Jesus says. You might be intrigued by some of the stuff that Jesus says, but it's not enough. It must lead to belief, putting our trust in him. Well, what happens? The Pharisees mock the officers, don't they? They say to them, have you also been deceived? Is that what's happened? Uh, And then they say, have have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in Jesus? So really what they're saying is, um, you know, when it comes to religion, when it comes to recognizing the Messiah, don't you think that we would know if Jesus was really the Messiah? Oh, you must have been deceived. And yet, the irony is they themselves are the ones who have been deceived. And today there's lots of prominent voices, lots of voices of influence, Voices of successful men and women in the, in the world's eyes, successful in every sphere of society, some of the brightest minds of, of our day. Some might even have PhDs and doctorates in theology, and, and yet they do not know God. They do not know God. And they will seek to write off those who do. And for those who are seeking out the real Jesus, they will say, that is a waste of your time. Rubbish, throw it away like the envelope. And yet, although in the world's eyes they might be wise, in God's eyes they are fools. So can I encourage you to seek the real Jesus this morning? Well, look at how this part of the text finishes, verse 50. Nicodemus pops up again. Nicodemus, the the man from chapter 3 of John's gospel. He's one of the religious leaders. And yet, here his voice is, is one of reason, isn't it? Because he, have, he appeals to their own law and says, well, surely Jesus should be given a hearing before the judgment is pronounced. How did the others respond? Well, they slapped on his idea. There, there, Nicodemus, don't, don't make such a, a ludicrous suggestion. And they insult him. And they say, are, are you from Galilee too? <laughs> it's a proper insult, isn't it? I mean, we probably have our, our own versions in Northern Ireland, but uh, I'm reluctant to say them from the front, you know. I realize that this time next year I'll be looking for a call to maybe a church in one of those places, and that I wouldn't go down well, would it? 
So even with the religious leaders, there's great division caused, isn't there? Division caused by Jesus. And when you speak up, sometimes even, even in a group where there are many people who are classed as religious, you might find yourself coming, well, under their scorn, under their ridicule. Think of uh, an example recently that bishops in the Church of England, some of them stood up and said, no, this is what marriage is. We cannot bless something that God says is a sinful act. And what happened was they were scorned by many. They were canceled by many. They were shunned. They were, you can't possibly hold to this teaching. And yet it was the teaching of Jesus, wasn't it? And so the real Jesus divides us. And sometimes, sometimes the division is even in places that we wouldn't expect to find a division. Ultimately, humanity is divided in two because of Jesus. Those who believe in and receive Jesus, those who recognize that he is the Son of God and they put their trust in him. And they are the ones who know the forgiveness of sin. They are the ones who know life to the full, everlasting life, deep satisfaction for the very thing that their hearts longs for. And then there's those who reject Jesus, who say, no, no, not for me. And what will happen is one day they will face his wrath. So let me ask you the question today, which are you? As Jesus divides us, two groups, which one are you in? Perhaps up until now you, you have rejected him. Maybe you've even been hostile towards him and, and to, to followers of Jesus. Well, today hear his words. If anyone thirsts, anyone, anyone at all, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And for those of us here, here this morning and, and we're believers, well, we must seek to grow in our knowledge of the real Jesus so that we have increased clarity as to who it is that we come to worship, so that we know him more and more, so that we can love him more and more, so that we know how he calls us to live as his people. I wonder, do you know the real Jesus? Because the real Jesus reveals himself to us in his word. So can I encourage you to get into his word? That is where you will know better and better the real Jesus. The real Jesus is from God and he reveals the truth. The real Jesus fires out warnings of what will happen if we reject the truth. The real Jesus really does deliver life. The real Jesus causes division, yes. And the real Jesus is revealed to us in the scriptures, in his word. I hope that today you can leave saying, yes, I know the real Jesus. I am trusting and believing in him. Let's pray. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As we hear these words, we hear this wonderful invitation. A wonderful invitation that goes out to all those who hear. And so I pray that if there's someone here today who is thirsty, 
who has not come to find their satisfaction filled in Christ, that today might be the day when they would respond and they would come and believe and receive Jesus. And for all the rest of us, Father, today might today be a day where we're reminded again of the real Jesus as to who it is that we believe in and that we leave seeking to know him more and more and ever increase in our love for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.